Zombie, zombie, it's in your head. Ah, my ears. In your head. My ears. Stop, people, stop. That, people don't know what you're talking about there, or what I'm talking about, or what you're even talking Everyone about. Everyone knows what you're talking about. No. It's one of the... Are you kidding? That not, song is like... Not Americans. People, people all over the world think that's the anthem of Ireland. No, not They Americans. do. Only rugby people. Yeah. No, I don't. People know the song, maybe, but that's it. But they probably don't, don't even know this, what the song is about and the context in which the song was written it's and what it was. zombies, obviously. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They think it's just about zombies. It's complicated. And pro- well, all it is, I'll give people a quick rundown. It's basically, there's a Rugby World Cup going on in Ireland. The national team are playing in the Rugby World Cup. And that song by the Cranberries, which is an Irish, an Irish group, uh, our former Irish group, uh, wrote that song back in the 90s, I think. And um, it has become the kind of unofficial anthem that's sung by the crowd, the Irish supporters at these matches. Kind of like an unofficial anthem to for, for Ireland, you know. And it's basically, it's, it seems to have been taken, it was promoted by the media for the crowd to do this. And somehow the crowd decided to go with what the media wanted them to do. Which I think they just singing. started playing it <coughs> over the tunnel. Sorry, they started playing it. They're yeah. super popular in France. Right. Cranberries are known <coughs> by the French. But they're doing it in Ireland as well, at Irish matches in Ireland. Uh, Okay. I mean, it started there, and it was promoted as this should be a song that you sing at the end. And subtly, it's a counterpoint to more traditional Irish nationalistic songs that would have been sung at uh, at those kind of rugby matches. Because as I, as we know, as everybody knows today, nationalism anywhere in any country is a very very bad thing, and you have to remove it, especially at sporting events. Because you know what sporting events are like: with people get together, and there's an identity and could become nationalism and you know one step from nationalism is, is nazism so exactly next thing is gas chambers and, yeah. and, and goose stepping yeah. look ryan in the chat says it's not the irish national ah, you see everyone thought it was he's joking he yeah. must be joking tell me you're joking ryan he is he's kidding he's he's better be. like ryan's smarter than that he better be I'll no but I'll it is telling him. that at a time when finally there's like i don't know an irish sporting cultural achievement of note Possibly, which I haven't even won the World Cup yet. Like, you know, the apogee of... It's for, for finally on the apex. Our expression of our nationalism isn't our anthem. But that's it's a song by the Cranberries, which was like anti- the antithesis of, of pride mm. in your country. It was denigrating. It's in your head, i.e. all this shooting and violence. It's, it's like it's in your head. It's psychosomatic and it's everywhere. And it's free-floating anxiety, as Matthias Desmond said in, in you know, his book about totalitarianism. And, oh, my God, get it out. Mm. And it, it was just this kind of liberal interpretation of events in Northern Ireland that helped cement in the generations of the 80s, 90s, and, and since then, that it was something just like a mind virus. Let's just push it away, this, this awful thing. Uh, you know, it's like like I say, it's free floating. It's not anchored in any history. It's not hang- anchored in any actual connections to anyone who it lives in just fifty miles away in the north of Ireland. Mm. You know, it. Anyway, we could go on yeah. and on about this, well, but I, it is I, very interesting. We we, we think, know what this means. I, 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 I think don't know where, I think, where do we start explaining this. Vehicle? I think it's attached to the whole immigration thing going on now. It's a cultural yeah. thing. It's, it's basically propaganda. For, for me, it boils down to what when people are singing that at uh, at national rugby games on the world stage type thing okay it's not a big thing in the US but it's a big thing in Europe and in a few other countries uh, it's it's an example of propaganda kosher nationalism or approved 
Yeah, it's it's propaganda. Globalism it's government approved slash media propaganda that has infected the minds of the people that have been successful in the minds of the people at these at these games. And it's designed ultimately one part of it is designed to promote immigration. How do you get to immigration though? It's super. I just go boom, immigration right there. <laughs> I just go immigration all the time. I can no. see how it promotes no, because, no but, violence, no war, because peace nation- under globalist terms. But, but nationalism has to be destroyed in any any country right. that is going oh. to be su- going to be subject to mass immigration well, from from non obviously you know other, do away other with all borders. Yes. And let everything melt but into cu- one big... But the culture yeah. in the country that's being subjected to this immigration, right. was mass immigration com- country, that can't have a strong national identity that's a tied, tied to, you know, that goes back in history, because that country was, like in the case of Ireland, was a, is a white country, a white, you know... Ginger country. Northern European... <laughs> ginger, white, white country. Ginger. And, and I'm not saying that... I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not making any judgment, I'm just saying that's what, that's, that's what it is. And if you, you have to destroy that long-term old-style nationalism that has a history goes goes back into, into goes back into Irish history because it's not accommodating because because Irish nationalism Irish nationalism comes with Irish culture and Irish culture is about songs in part and a lot of those Irish nationalist songs are synonymous with a shared history that is shared by the people as a distinct ethnic identity and if people today are singing that then subtly it's not friendly. It, it's not explicitly anti-immigration. Obviously, none of those songs are anti-immigration because immigration wasn't around at the time. Yeah. But it talks about that. Those kind of songs talk about Ireland and Irish people as a uni, as a specific, you know, unified group, and that just doesn't go well with immigration. So you've yeah, got to yeah. get rid of it, and so they replace it with a song that denigrates everything nationalistic. Yeah, that's that's my take on it anyway. Yeah, HFL said in the chat it's the antithesis of Irish rebel songs. Of the, course. It's that correct? And there's, there's also a t- two-stage process to this. The Irish National Anthem officially has been replaced at Irish rugby games anyway, abroad. Wait. At home, they play both, but they invented a new one to play to others abroad. Right. Ireland Standing Tall song. Right. They, they literally denationalized that already. Now they've gone one step further. There's no Ireland Standing Tall. It's just in your head. Zombies. <laughs> yeah. Well, they do still play the one at the beginning, but that's the end anthem. You know, zombie is the end anthem. Anyway, it's just an interesting cultural kind of data point of, of where we're at and uh, the level of propaganda. Do you get the sense that revolutions in the air? Where? Everywhere. Everywhere. Well, well, I'm specifically thinking like I've seen two high-profile figures, kind of like Russell Brands in that they were celebrities in the noughties and more recently 2010s actors, TV presenters who were woken up and have become kind of unofficial spokespeople of the roughly 10% we think were shocked awake by COVID. Hmm. And they basically are tweeting like, it's time for a revolution. Who are they? Millions of likes and retweets. Uh, The two guys in mind, the TV presenter was the Scottish guy, Neil um, Longhair, did a great monologue during COVID. Get a surname. Neil something, Neil Oliver. Hmm. And the other one is the actor turned, now he's actually back on TV as a TV anchor on GB News, um, Lawrence Fox. Yeah, but they're, they're right-wing. Oh, right, they right. can be castigated as that, but they're from the mainstream. Hmm. And they, they can paint them all they want, like they've done with Russell Brand recently as well. But uh, they're explicitly like, let's, have, let's talk about revolution kind of thing. And it's, 
I know, I know. We've we've been oh, Jesus Christ, been here like lots of time before, and uh, we've seen the yellow vest thing come and go in France. But um, yeah, I think people are reaching some limits. Huh? It may be, and maybe then there'll this be a response winter. if there's some kind of read that the government gets on that kind of thing. You know, I mean, you, we talked about the Russian Russell Brand thing last night, last week, and we'll talk a little bit about, about it again this week in terms of the extreme lengths they went to shut him down. Did we ever call it right? Yeah, well, <laughs> day one, pretty obvious, right? Well, it took. Seven years for it to be outed that the judge who basically kept Assange cooped up in the embassy and wouldn't let him get asylum to Ecuador was married to a high-profile conservative figure who was involved in explicitly lobbying on behalf of some Americans to nail him. That took seven years. It's taken seven days to find the same connection Yeah, in Brown's case. That's nuts. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um First one, just a little data point here. It's, maybe you have something else to say about it because it's connected to other things. But this uh, little tidbit um, a story, I think it's in uh, what? what is that in Russian? <laughs> to go down a little or bit. Or Novosti. It's the uh, Russian, sorry, um, okay. Russian. Russian uh, BBC. news agency. Uh, the Russian BBC basically said that the Russian military destroyed a leopard with a crew from the Bundeswehr in the Northern Military District. Yeah. Interesting. Scouts of the Russian Armed Forces told already not about the destruction of a with a crew from Germany. So, and above in the text, it just says, when we stopped their, quote-unquote, meat assault and captured the leopard, we moved towards and burnt the equipment in the hope of taking the talker. And we discovered that the tank driver was seriously wounded and the rest died. The mechanic, when he woke, woke up and saw us, began shouting, Nicht schüssen! <laughs> Nicht schüssen, don't shoot! Uh, so this that what that's not Ukrainian, uh, Nick Shishin. Um The driver of the damaged tank said several times that we are not mercenary, but a Bundeswehr soldier and the entire crew from were from one company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how often is that happening? I mean, that it's probably hard to say, but I mean, it's it's. I mean, that that's that's yeah. moving a step further. We don't know if that just happened recently or if that's been ongoing no, for no, quite some it, time. That there's well, actually this NATO soldiers in yeah. NATO soldiers in actively taking part in like front line stuff. We know they're all over the place in terms of advisors and there's mercenaries and all that kind of stuff, but actual kind of signed up members of the German armed forces, the German German um, military in a tank on the front lines in Ukraine. That's... I think it's massive. Oh, I think it's substantial. Yeah. I, it's not, this wasn't the first a one in a million shot. It's also been happening since the beginning. There, there's a lot of things to cover here, but of course it's lots of circumstantial. Well, the first thing to note is that that report, although someone did an auto-translate and you saw that text in that tweet mm-hmm. from Novosti in English, it's actually not been published in English. Mm-hmm. It's exclusively it, in yeah. Russian language media. Most of these reports okay, are up. only in Russian language media. The Russian government has apparently made a decision because you can scan RT. When you hear these rumors, you go to RT or Sputnik or something and you look for it and they don't mean that. Mm-hmm. They, for now, for whatever reasons, they probably to do with maintaining a certain level of not escalating this beyond where it ever currently is. The Russians do not um, draw attention. So that would be an explainer for why you would think... But you have to get your first. You have to get your head out of 
the PR, the propaganda space that they're trying to put it in vis-a-vis the Russians. Oh, they would they lie, cheat, and steal about everything. That's actually not true. They're very truthful, and then they're actually very not forthcoming with things that would give them a propaganda coup. But anyway, it's been rumors so far, or it's freely reported only in Russian language media. But you'd have to assume we've assumed for quite a long time that that's the case. That well, we it's not know. Being talked about look, look at the Washington Post halfway through last year did a big expose, and it wasn't the only one. I remember others in the New York Times where they said, you know what, actually when fighting started on day one, a special unit was sent in. Most were withdrawn. Most advisors, they left the embassy and everything. Americans left. Oh, shit, here come the Russians. At the same time, flights were going in. Mm -hmm. And they admitted at the time to a ballpark figure of 50 Mm -hmm. specialists to help with special stuff. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, you you know, over the years, you can collect them, you can find them. And there's about six or seven such. And between them and the British who admitted 50 here and there, you can say there's several hundred active at any one time. Mm -hmm. They're specialists. We're not telling you what they're doing, but they're doing something serious. Okay. That's one layer of it. The second layer of it is how many actual Americans and British accents have been heard on the videos. Mm -hmm. Now, that layer is usually parlayed into other volunteers. But then you find some of them, when they died, they quit on like February 23rd, 2022, and signed up for the Ukrainian military on February 24th. We know that happens. So that's, and they're like 23 and 4 years old. That's not a volunteer. That is someone who is on assignment. Whether he's sent mm. there or whether he volunteers, it kind he, of besides the point. Quote unquote, he is welcome army. to return to mm. the British Army, the American military at any time he wants. Yeah, but th- th- he, he's not. He's not. He's not persona non grata anymore. No, he's I know. one of ours. Yeah, but we the, know that. Ha- here's another layer of reports. There's six or seven going back over the last year. It began by saying, "Well, we started airlifting some Ukrainian soldiers." To our to our American military bases in Germany. Mm. Oh, we've also started airlifting them as far as Japan. Mm. Those are Americans. Actually, yeah. we're also airlifting Americans. They're volunteers mm-hmm. to our yeah. military bases. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, we know this. We know this happened. This is this is just a repeat of this is from the Iraq playbook, right? I mean, we know that. Oh, do we? That never became known. But no, yes, what we it definitely suspect. Well, no, every, I mean it. It's so it's so so long ago. Iraq is so long yeah. ago that there's. I mean, it's been. It's 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 not even a secret. It's it's been talked about by large numbers of at the time active military personnel who just quit because and they were doing it and they were doing it progressively in droves as the Iraq war dragged on because there was way more money to be had in uh, as a military, as a contractor in Blackwater etc. Um, so. That's the same. That, that's that's what they do. You know, you take regular because for a, a, a private military contractor to sign up with them and, and go into a war zone and do do some job or whatever, you need to have a significant. Uh, ideally, you have significant military experience. So you are, and you're not just going to find enough former military, U.S. military personnel who have retired ten years ago because first of all there aren't enough of them, and second. Um, because at, at the end of the day, in, in Iraq, there was something like two hundred thousand. Uh, private military, there was more more PMCs in Iraq than there were actual regular troops. So there was a, there was, a, there was definitely a concerted plan to basically replace, you know, as as the as the first years of the war went on, to replace a significant number of active U.S. military personnel in Iraq with PMCs, uh, sure, PM, you, PMC people. Yeah. So that's been going on, and so yeah, they follow the same playbook in in, in Ukraine. 
Uh, so you don't know all these. We don't know. We don't know how many mercenaries or volunteers are actually in Ukraine for sure, and we certainly don't know how many of them, like you just said, resigned the day before they went to Ukraine out of the U.S. military. But what's different in this case is that um, you have active. The, it seems like these guys yeah, are actually members, still members of. Because how are you going to get a whole tank crew together? You know what I mean. Now, yeah, it's obvious when you think about it because it was even articulated by media reporting it at the time. Whether it was the Abrams tanks, the Leopard tanks, the Challenger twos, or any of the other the Bradley fighting vehicles, they all said, "But, but, even if we get to the logistics, put them on the ship, and it arrives in Ukraine." How do we train them? Hmm. And that was kind of wishy-washy. Yeah, it might take X months. We'll train. We'll meet them halfway. We'll meet them in Poland. We'll train them there. But that—that's not a no. That's not enough. Them. Sorry, no. They didn't learn how to use the, the, those vehicles so right. quickly. Um, so maybe some of them. It's a mix. It's going to be a mix. Some of them, for sure, were able. They're smart enough to actually, you know, learn how to use it sufficiently. But they had to be. Surrounded by people who are competent yeah. in repair, in the use of them and the repair of them. Yeah. So you have got whole brigades or whole units at least, mm -hmm. individual units. The volume, I don't know about. Now there's a whole other layer of reporting to take into account over the last year. And that's the Russian side. It's easy just to go, well, it's all propaganda. They, they may not make hay with it by publishing the evidence they surely have, like of these guys. They must have documentary evidence it's all over Russian telegram channels when they do find they publish everything they come across generally except this kind of stuff nevertheless for the last year the what was I going to say ah. move, <laughs> move, move on move, throw that up there Scotty because this is related <clears throat> I want you to talk to me about this it doesn't seem to be related well, to, we, that, to that German leopard crew uh, but it is related and it's okay, so it's a story about a French general. This is from August 19th. French general in charge of Notre Dame construction found dead in the Pyrenees. What's that got to do with Ukraine? I think we should go and sequence, though. Well, the only reason we're looking at this is because of a tweet by. Yeah, but we can follow up on okay. that. But let's just introduce it this way. So, okay. this is the story. French general, and you go, oh, that's interesting. And, you know, we found out that he's a former French army chief in charge of restoring Paris's Notre Dame Cathedral after it was uh, devastated by fire, a suspicious fire, in 2019. And he died during a mountain hike. And just to give you an idea, if you go down, General Louis, uh, Jean-Louis Georges Lain died on Friday in the Pyrenees mountain range, straddling the France-Rian border, whatever, said the prosecutor's office in the southern French city of Foix. Uh, Notre Dame has lost the overseer of its rebirth, said France. One of its great servants. Um, said France, yeah, right. So, wishes, a, so yeah, a five-star general who was French, the French army's chief of staff between 2016 and 2010. Georges Lynn supervised operations in the Ivory Coast, Afghanistan, the, pa the Balkans, and Lebanon. So, um, so What's the amazing thing is, is how uh, that that was just eaten up totally uncritically in France. Absolutely done. No one. Um, but he, the thing is, he's a he's a he's a well-known general. He'd be on the equivalent of like Milly or let's say Pet uh, Petraeus or you know someone who who's that level of 
profile because there's a lot of generals, let's say, actually a number of generals in France and all their high level yeah. members of the military who are now retired. No, he's a five star general who was a French army's chief of staff, so right. he's the top guy, and also in the public in the public sphere, in the public sphere. Because for the last uh, Three couple of years, he's been giving press conferences, right. giving people fame, VIPs tours around Notre Dame as right. it's rebuilt. He's been getting in small bickering fights about. The rebuilding of Notre right. Dame. At my first thought when I saw that was, whoa, I wonder what that's having to do with, you know, information about what happened to Notre Dame. But no, no. His, his controversies are to do with the process of rebuilding yeah. it because Macron was pressuring him to get it rebuilt in time for the Olympics next year. But right. anyway. So why did this peak? Why, why would we even mention it? Well, it's, it's noteworthy in itself because it's a strange way to die for a man who's, you know, he may have been 74, but you know, come on, he just fell in the Pyrenees and that's it. And then, by the way, he was given a full state military funeral, full honours. You know, he's buried right there in the the top French military museum next to Napoleon. So Macron was there, TV cameras, full presentation, very sombre affair too. You think something really like extreme or – and he, they made clear to clarify that he – well, they didn't – I should be careful how I cite this. They, they did give the impression that he died in the line of duty, that he died – uh, but they part, they said that was because he was helping the reconstruction of Notre Dame. But it didn't. The military jingle didn't fit with his official job. Okay, whatever. The reason we reason we would maybe if we'd been French and paying closer attention to the news, that would have crossed across our feeds, and we'd have gone, "What the hell?" But actually, the first person to go, "What the hell?" was this guy. This is a hell of a tweet. In August, no one has responded to this except for NAFO trolls. There's been no official response, no nothing. No, usually they take what Medvedev says and turn it into lampooning or mocking the French state. No one responded to this. This is the deputy uh, Russian ambassador to the United Nations. The French have found a new scenario for legalizing the deaths of their top military in Ukraine. Look how that's stated matter-of-factly. Reporting the death of General Jean-Louis Georges Lain, former chief of staff of the French Armed Forces, during an unexpected hike in the mountains. The 75-year-old general, who had never been interested in mountaineering before, suddenly developed a love for mountain tourism and went on a hike in the Pyrenees, dot, 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 alone, and fell in the area of the Faustin Pass, which is located at an altitude of 2,650 meters. In short, another case of inexplicable desire of NATO generals for solitary dangerous journeys ending in extensive injuries as if from a close explosion of heavy ammunition. Yes. We'll get back to the rest because he's got more, but he is clearly speaking from the position of someone who knows something. Mm -hmm. He didn't just concoct that. I.e., this man was in Ukraine and we killed him in an airstrike. At one of those, on one of those operating centres that they've been targeting, or even at one of the restaurants that uh, there was at least one or two strikes on, you know, places where mercs and, and NATO NATO operatives were known to to eat, basically. Uh, just the most recent one was a few months ago, I think. There's video footage of it, so like well, it could have been anywhere. It's basically. been a euphemism since I think they first attacked the Crimea Bridge last September. Hmm. They warned, and they began using this euphemism, the Russians, that if you keep doing stuff like this, yes. terrorists itself, um, 
attacking yeah. Crimea or Russia proper, we will begin targeting, quote, key decision-making centers. Now, right. I always thought that uh, the, the assumption that came in that loaded euphemism key, yeah, was somewhere, maybe, <clears throat> or maybe inside NATO, somewhere outside, somewhere beyond, yeah, no. you know? <clears throat> Not too far. No. Key decision-making centers within Ukraine mm. at which high-profile military VIPs from the West that's, are in attendance. That's Russia's, Russia's attitude all along has been, in this conflict has been to... You know, to, to escalate only in response to escalation and to, you know, to not take any preemptive action. Obviously, they escalated in the sense of actually invading Ukraine, but that was arguably as a result of a provocation and putting Russia in a position where they had no other choice to do that. So Russia, if you look at Russia's history, they never do anything uh, preemptive or provocative unless it's in genuinely in their own self-interest. And they, when they get into a conflict, they, they match escalation with escalation. You know, not directly, but... For them, basically, attacks against Crimea can effective attacks against Crimea can only happen with the direct uh, help or, or, or provision of weapons to do so and targeting by the West. So that's a, that's a step. You know, Russia's always accepted that. You know, you guys are going to supply Ukraine with all these weapons and all this kind of stuff. You're going to do all sorts of things. You're going to give them intelligence to fight the war on the battlefield. Fine, we'll just carry on, we'll, we'll deal with that. But if you go beyond, if you start trying to target, like, you know, m Russian territory, including Crimea, then that's a level up and we're going to respond in kind. Mm. We're going to make it painful for you if you do that. Yeah, we're you, not going you to keep trying back. to make it painful for us. Right, so and we respond. Yeah. And we have ways, ways to do that, you know. Um, okay. So anyway, yeah. So that's Georgia now. That's the only, there's no evidence. The only thing is that statement from the Russian deputy ambassador to the UN. No one has counted it. No one has, no one has lampooned well, it. You know, no what, one has you, know, you know what he said there about taking falls with injuries consistent with, I mean, because in the actual report on all the reports on his death from his so-called or supposed hike in the Pyrenees is that he fell uh, while, you know, and they give the location, whatever the name of the place, and they put in, on, on most of them they put in the height and it was 2,650 metres, but they didn't say... It's almost, it's almost like they, they're putting in that he fell from 2,650 yeah. metres, you know what I mean? Because, yeah, he's pretty badly beaten up because if you fall from that height, you know, he just like did a Homer yeah. Simpson all the way down the mountain, right? Bonk, yeah. bonk, 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 like bounced himself 2,650 metres down the mountain. Don't, don't, yeah, don't, because, don't, don't. <laughs> because that's, that's consistent with the injuries. Because someone, well, like the, pro, the prosecutor or the, uh, the procurer or whatever in, um, in, in Foix, in the nearest uh -huh. town, the, the administrative town close to, to the mountains there um, he had somebody had to sign off on it well, and look the at the thing. body that's, this is what begs the question or did they is there so much leverage we don't even have to provide a, 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 a procurer with a body to get him to sign off I hope yes, not yes. because if they did think about it, think flesh this all the way out to the end no pun intended it means Trap they have to airlift what was left of the corpse and put it in the mountains no well well maybe well, who, who get? Well, it's not the it's not the not the guy in Foix, the administrator in, in Foix, who actually goes and, and, and gets the body. Right? Of course it's, not. No, it's no, delivered no. to him yeah, by yeah, whoever. Yeah. Right. So that can be done. Let's say. Uh, well, do you, do you really think that's done by whoever? It, well, it could be done in the sense where you know you could deliver a body to the place where it's meant to be assessed for identity and an and and official file written up. Right. I hope not. I'll tell you why. I hope it's just being done with like a wink and a nod and a handshake mm. among all. We're all Freemasonic friends or something mm. like this. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we all yeah. know not to, not to talk. Probably. Because if it's not, remember the tenor of, and we're just on the first half of that tweet, but Polyansky, the tenor of it was he's fed up 
because he's seen this over and over again. He's describing George Lang as the latest incident because it had happened the week before he made the tweet. Mm -hmm. Like, for God's sake, how much longer is this going to go on for? The Russians are watching this and they know what's going on in the West and there isn't even the slightest wink of media investigation. Mm -hmm. There isn't even a conspiratorial fervor online about it because no one's talking about this. People are talking about They wonder if, you know... Hmm, how many Americans are really there? And stuff? But they're thinking grunts, like those Bundeswehr guys. Yeah. Are they sending our boys over there? Yeah. Well, hang on. This is like the former chief of the armed forces of France. Right. Okay. But that's why it has to be kept. That's why it had to be kept under wraps. That's why this would have happened. If someone like that, uh, especially since he's, re- he's retired, okay, he's brought back into, into service, like we were saying earlier on, any, of the, any, any country, any NATO country, Western country that's shipping weapons, large amounts of weapons to Ukraine, they're sending military personnel, high-level military personnel from that country with those weapons to oversee the disbursement of them and the use, the use of them, right? You don't just dump them at the border and say, see you guys, That's what, have fun. What, that's what I thought was happening. Yeah, yeah that, but so there's, so there's high-level high high personnel from every single NATO country that is supplying weapons and even ones that aren't supplying weapons to Ukraine in that country and have been since the beginning. Uh-huh. Uh, which is why it's been e- relatively easy for the Russians to actually target them because they keep coming back, right? Yeah. And they go back for a weekend, back home, whatever, and then they come back again. So it's fairly easy over the, the course of a long period of time for them to track the movements or get a read on the movements of these people and find out what they're doing. And they don't do anything initially. They just watch and let them set up and let them establish a routine, you know, kind of lull them into a false sense of security in a certain mm. sense and have no intention of actually targeting them unless... The West at some point decides Crimea to escalate is and then with boom, something and we've got then. all this information of watching your generals or your former generals who are in the country overseeing the, 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 you know, the, the provision of these weapons and, um, and boom. So, but that guy, because he is, was such high, high profile, because like I said, there's plenty of generals in France, there's plenty of other high level military personnel who nobody knows about. They're not public figures. This guy was a public figure. He was overseeing the reconstruction of Notre Dame. He was on TV giving interviews about it and all that kind of stuff. So he was, and he was kind of like a, you know, he was like one of our, you know, kind of almost storied, you know, military personnel. He was held in high regard. Elder statesman. So for him to be wiped out immediately, there'd be Crazy. questions among in the French, you know, amongst the French population. Said, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, you just yeah. what? Yeah. This guy, I mean, really? That's we, that's like too much, you know? I mean, we're in too deep here. Yeah, not only that, but it's just like. We liked him, if you know what I mean. He was, Remember, he didn't deserve that fate. Remember, Why are you sending those people to Ukraine? Remember the whole premise being sold to everyone of late is we need to keep sending billions to Ukraine. It's only 5% of our military budget because this costs us nothing in body yeah, bags. Yeah, it's free, yeah. Right, right. Uh, if one of these stories doesn't ho- breaks out, it, it's curtains. Yeah. Let's go back to that tweet because he named one other person as an example. Two other incidents, one person. Okay. It's interesting when they will get tired of playing games, i.e., again, Polyansky is saying, I've seen this lots of times before now. When will it finally be recognized that the entire NATO bloc is waging war against Russia on the territory of former Ukraine? This, of course, has been Russia's message all summer long. Lavrov repeated at the UN last week, we're at war with NATO. This not being hyperbolic, it's, being, it's, it's based on these facts. Well, these facts they're insinuating at, but they don't actually expose, whatever. They will soon run out of falling private planes, sinking yachts, are they referring to specific incidents, and the mountains will be littered, littered with the bodies of officers from NATO 
who decided to take a solitary walk, solitary walk along mountain trails. And here's another example. In addition to the mountain adventurer, on August 1st, General Potts of the U.S. Armed Forces died in the state of Maryland. He felt the urge to fly alone on a, on a private plane on which he crashed. Uh, right, there's another one. Let's, let's look at Potts first, though, before we talk about the last one. This is... Okay, I looked this up. This, is, this indeed happened, as described here by Polyansky. Uh, oh, shit, long one. report. That's the next one. Um, pots, pots, pots. Sorry. Here we go. This is one of the earliest reports on it. There's no real update since then. The National Transport Safety Board said they have since said they'll look into it. It might take two years to find out what happened to his plane. Anyway, here's the initial local local media report. Um, Polyansky was wrong. It wasn't August 1st. It was July 25th. Okay, sorry, this isn't the earliest report. This is, this is an update, but whatever, it contains the details. So scroll down there. Um, Harvard de Grace, interesting French name, but whatever. This is in Maryland. Um, the fatal plane crash that killed Army Major General Anthony W. Potts in July 25th. Um, according to the report, Potts had a brief discussion with an aircraft technician about his upcoming flight in this, his, his own private single-engine Piper PA aircraft um, minutes before its tragic takeoff last month. Um, he informed the technician he intended to fly the propeller aircraft around the airport's traffic pattern that evening. Maybe he was just testing it after repairs, whatever. Moments after takeoff, Pulse plane tragically crashed in a hayfield um, somewhere outside Baltimore. Okay. So that happened, so to speak, two parts. Officially, it's recognized in the United States that a U.S. Army general, major, 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 uh, major general. general, so he's like three-star general, had indeed died. Go back to the tweet. The deputy ambassador of the Russian government to the United Nations is claiming that this parts He's insinuating, he didn't actually say it, but he, given what he just said about George and I, he's insinuating that Potts was actually on active duty mm. for the United States military in Ukraine where he was killed. Yeah. And then either his, well, macabre, I don't think it's that macabre, his, his body is either brought back and put on a plane and it's made to crash or a crash happens, maybe with no one in it. And... There's or, a backstory prepared. Or, or, Someone in the local police is or not no, it. Another angle is no crash happened. Well, I've wondered that because there's. This is obviously spurred to go and look at radar. a shitload of crashes and incidents involving U.S. military over the last year. Which there are many all over the world. You know, um, in this case, there is actual a still from video footage taken of a field with the apparent wreckage of a plane. Okay. So in those cases, I think it's legit because someone's on the scene, takes video or takes a photo and something, a plane crashed there or whatever. In other cases, though, how far, would, how far do they go, though, to, like, to cover that up? If, if it's important enough for them, imagine you're in that situation and it's important enough for them to make sure that no, no one finds out by the media, there's no official recognition that a high-level military uh, like general or a major general from a NATO country died in Ukraine, was killed in Ukraine. You don't want to recognize that at all. But the guy is dead. You could just say nothing. But 
word would probably come out. Where is he? What happened to him? So you have to, you realize you have to have a story about it. So how far do you go then? Once you're faced with that problem, how far do you go? What way do you, what way do you deal with it? You've got a dead body. Or you don't, because he's or, now in or Russia. Or maybe there the territories, they couldn't find it. It's buried under rubble. Well, if it's killed in Ukraine, though. If it's killed on the Ukrainian side, I suppose they can't get these have, been, these have been attacks, generally speaking. Inside? Inside Ukraine, taking out high-level okay. decision-making centers, right? So probably you have a body of some description. You can get the body, okay. You can bring it back home or whatever, but the family have to be kept. The family needs a reason. On the lowdown. And his, uh, anyone under his command. They can either be told. Can be a lot of people. They can either be, yeah. They need a cover story. Yes, they need a cover story. Some of them can be told. Maybe the family can be told. Maybe they knew he was in Ukraine and he was doing service to his country and it's very sad. But listen, we don't want this to get out. So what do we do? Well, he needs to die in some other way in the US. Because he's basically gone and we need, we can't just say nothing about him forever. He'll have just more or less disappeared. He needs to have died in the US in some normal way, like hiking in a mountain or on a plane crash. So how far do you go? To fabricate, to create the condition or to fabricate the story that, that that's actually happened. Do you just like have someone fly, if he had a plane, have someone fly his plane up into the air, you know, with connivance with his, of his family, obviously, maybe fly it up into the air, maybe the jump out of a parachute and let it crash? The technician's job the night before was, in fact, to be able to remote control it or something. Well, you just they get someone to fly up and jump out in a parachute. Oh, and let parachute, it crash. Just right, cr- yeah. parachute out and crash. Do you go to that? But, well, mean, yeah, how far do you go? Well, it's hilarious it's, like, to think that they'd go to that length. I, that I know, length. this is what we're left with. Like, it's, it's bloody hell. It's like this is based on the premise that we're believing this Russian uh, the well, ambassador to the end. We're believing because it's... Not necessarily believing, but... Well, we think it's highly likely that, well, given the, the context yeah. and the circumstances, it's highly likely that there are members of, high-level members of NATO Western countries who have been targeted and killed in Ukraine. Okay, but, yeah, okay, okay, we are. We're speculating based on what he has claimed yeah. and the, the fact that no one has responded to it, no one's called him a liar or anything. So how far will they go? The last paragraph in his tweet gives some idea as to how far the Russians think, mm-hmm. not just the go. Americans, but the French and the British or whoever else are willing to go. Let's read the last one. Ah, and a few months ago, quote, a helicopter crashed in the mountains of Mexico. Mexico, as far as I know, is not involved in Ukraine, but whatever. End quote. With a group of officers who were most likely planning to visit the Vinitsa House of Officers the day before, dot, 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 end cryptic message. Well, holy smokes. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? Again, there's no one else has done anything on this, but this is the best I can find. Okay. So you've got to work backwards from what he's saying. First of all, it seems most likely we can establish, in fact, the last phrase in his sentence, which is something happened at the Venetia House of Officers. Mm-hmm. Okay. A few months ago. Whatever. Let's have a look. Um, there was indeed a Russian... Well, again, according to the Russian MOD, but Russian MOD claimed they did this, an airstrike on Vinitsa. Mm. It's not a few months ago. It's actually a whole whole year year ago. It's 15 July. Pay attention to that date. 15 July 2022. We'll just read the first two paragraphs. Russia's Defense Ministry for the first time confirmed the missile strike on the House of Officers building in Mm Vinitsa. The launch of caliber high-precision sea-based missiles is mentioned in the daily 
briefing of the Russian MOD. The facility hosted a conference of the Ukrainian Armed Forces Command with representatives of foreign armament suppliers aimed at discussing the issues on sending another batch of aircraft destruction means as well as on organizing the reparation of Ukrainian aircraft. Foreign armament suppliers. So that's not like some lawyer from Raytheon, it turns out, most likely. It's actual commanders, military commanders, including high-level ones. It's not young guys on you know, covert special ops, CIA cover. They're sending... They're sending the they're sending the top commanders apparently. Well, the fact the fact that that ha- that, that Vinita House of Officers, which was there's some allegation that it was used by Nazis, in, <laughs> which wouldn't be inappropriate uh, during World War Two, and it has been around since World War Two. But uh, this is like Euromaidan Press. Now you can't get anything more pro-Ukrainian than Euromaidan Press, and this is from around the time last year, July seventeenth. But it's a concert hall or officers' house that was hit by Russian. Russia won't be completely dismantled. Only damaged structure will be dismantled, said the Oblast authorities. It survived World War II, will endure this one too. It has already become a symbol of Vanita's resilience. So here's the thing. Well, yeah. So this happened, basically, is what we're saying. And the, that actually happened. The Ukrainians didn't dispute it. It's the House of Officers. Nobody disputes that that was a location where for, the, for, uh, for gatherings of Ukrainian and Western <laughs> Um, you know, state actors, basically, and military actors uh, in terms of uh, yep. who are supplying weapons to, to Ukraine. But no one knew until this hint was put out by Polyansky that it contained, like, some senior people. Well, you always have assumed that there were, you know, important people involved yeah. in that process, but who are they? So, in a certain sense, it isn't that, that, that big of a story, except the West are making it a big story by covering up the death of these people. Why not just go, yeah... You know, we we, we kind of they, they made the big the story by by the, the core messaging in response to the the backlash in in Britain, in France, and the United States, and everywhere else, Germany. The backlash is this is going too far. We cannot have an actual honest to god war with Russia. This is crazy, and their governments are messaging them, bombarding them mm-hmm. day after day. It's okay. It's only costing us some money. No one's lives are at stake here. Mm-hmm. That's the lie. That's one layer of the lies in the Ukraine war. And this is the, the last one to be exposed, I believe. Okay. Um, sorry to do this again. Can you go back to that tweet just so we can have in, have in our minds clearly the reference to Mexico? What the hell? So we saw that Venezia really happened. The Russians did strike there. What he's suggesting is that what he's suggesting is that, quote, a helicopter crashed in the mountains of Mexico, end quote, inside of which helicopter contained a group of officers who were planning to visit Benita, i.e., they, that, that's a super coy way of saying they were at Benita, but the, their deaths are kind of backdated so that they couldn't have been there. So then I looked and I thought, well, okay, what the hell happened to Mexico? This is the best fit I can find, okay? In time, anyway. Um, I'll just I'll send it to you there from U.S. News. It was, it was very briefly reported, but it was by Reuters and AP. Two paragraphs. Notice the date. July 15th, 2022. It's the same date as Venezia airstrike. 
Mexico's Navy said Friday that 14 people were killed and another person was injured after a Black Hawk military hel- helicopter crashed in the northern state of Sinaloa, which is, you know, fairly close, I presume, to the United States border. The cause of the crash is being investigated, but so far there was no information indicating the incident was related to the arrest of drug lord Rafael Quintero in another part of Sinaloa on Friday, the Navy said in a statement. What a strange thing to add. They add a connection with another thing going on, a drug bust, in another part of the state and say there's no connection to it. Okay, well, why did you mention it in connection with it then? So that's it. That's pretty much all the information that's been published on that. So yeah. to, to, to go with this, Dmitry Polyansky, remember, Deputy Ambassador, so he's basically a Russian spy. All ambassadors are spies, basically. That's their craft. That's where they came from. He's one of them. He's on the inside. Is dropping hints in a tweet that the three incidents we've looked at were cover stories for the death of senior and who knows, middle rank, whatever, active duty, American, French, and probably more military personnel on mission in Ukraine. Mm Mm-hmm. And that the, the, the lengths they're willing to go to to maintain the lie right. that we, quote, are not at war with Russia, which is again repeated for the millionth time last week by NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg. We are not at war with Russia. It's, this is how far they're willing to go it's, to protect that it's lie. It's an example of the information war, which is a, a major part of any conflict, especially in this age. In the, in the internet, it's a major part. Uh, the information war is paramount for these people, and this is an example of how far they're willing to go to massage the information that is received by um, by Western audiences. They don't want; they're so sensitive, so particular. They don't want Western audiences to know that Russia has taken out high-level military personnel from NATO countries, the U.S., France, probably the U.K. as well in Ukraine. They don't want the public to know that those kinds of people are operating there, although everybody would, anybody with any sense would assume they are, and they certainly don't want people to know that Russia has a capability of taking them out, because it's a propaganda win. Yeah. And no propaganda wins are allowed, as we know, for Russia. Yeah. And Russia's, the Russian ambassador is just getting a bit pissed off with these, like, for fuck's sake, dude, like, I mean, we're having a war. Can you not accept the fact that if you're going to go, like, almost all in on a war, at least on a proxy war, where you're at war with Russia in everything but name, that you're going to lose personnel, including high-level personnel, if you put them there? Why don't you just... What, what kind of a... It's a faggy... How, 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 it's how, a kind of... How cowardly, yeah, yeah it, it, is that, you know? And I don't want to associate faggy with cowardly. No, 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 I don't. Uh, yeah, Because... Yeah. Um, I'm reclaiming the word there for meaning... Yeah. What it used to mean, which was just... Which limp-wristed kind of, you know... Yeah. <laughs> it, it's... The pure it's superficiality. It's pusillanimous. It's, 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 it's the furthest from the, the core value that used to uphold well, everyone in the West, which was honor. The image they portray. Honor. honor. It's the well, polar opposite to honor. Yeah, but they're waging an honorable war still, right? Supposedly. Only in the propaganda level. Yeah. And then but in you, reality. You eat through all these layers of lies, and this is the kind of shit that goes through uh, at, the very, at the very bottom of it, you know? Yeah. Um, Let me so just. Now we have a framework. 
a useful potential framework. Of course, it's circumstantial. It's he said, she said. But still, you saw the, the tenor like, of the, the content. Like, the likelihood. The likelihood. The like, I mean, who, put, put it this way. Who's going to disagree? What sensible person is going to disagree that at this point, it, over 18 months into the conflict in Ukraine, that the West is clearly waging against Russia but using Ukrainian hands and bodies? Who's going to disagree that in that process of sending massive amounts of weapons and organizing the Ukrainian uh, war that is a, an American, essentially, Western war against Russia, organizing it using the Ukrainians, that there's not going to be a significant number of Western personnel in that country. And who then is going to argue that there is, uh, or, or disagree with the idea that the Russians are eventually going to get a read on these people who are coming into the country and are likely going to target them. And then in some of those cases, they're going to die. So it's, yeah. I mean, nobody can, no sensible person can disagree that it's very likely that after 18 months, High-level members of Western militaries have died in Ukraine. Yeah, that is done, right? Yeah. If if you don't agree with that, get out of the room. You're, you're not a serious person. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, the, but then you put this together, what we're just looking at, and you go, "Wow, that that adds another twist to it." Where they're so sensitive about losing any of their special NATO, yeah. you know, warriors that they're going to make up stories and propagate them to the public via the media. And give them a fake... He died in a fall. They're he died in a boating accident. Not only, not only was... He, he, he ate, ate peanut butter and had an allergic reaction. Not only was their last military service to their country um, clothed in a fake... in fakery, their very deaths were clothed in fakery. Yeah, which is pretty ignoble. It's, it's so, like... But Who wants to fight for that? I mean, yeah. what? It, there's no honor in that. Not at all, no. It's, it's revolting. And now, well, I, I mentioned earlier that the Russians are very quiet on the QT about this. At the beginning, it was a bit different. There are quasi-official telegram channels, you know, where like the, the guys who would be embedded with the forward units on the Russian side, they did publish a lot of stuff. They would find the passports of Americans or some kind of ID, to maybe dog tags mm. and stuff that would ID them as Americans or British or French. There was a ton of rumors around Mariupol during the siege that they were trying to get helicopters in to airlift like a colonel and major levels of French officers and American officers. You remember those rumors? Yep. Never confirmed because the Russians backed away from like showing the bodies mm. or actual yeah. mug shots. Because they have a bit Got of decency. Still left, a bit of respect. But it means it was happening back in May 2022. Yeah. Did you see the Irish Republican Brotherhood, Fenian, <laughs> just emphasizing, uh, uh, overemphasizing his identity there? Um, the Brits did the same thing in the north. Senior soldiers killed by active service units would turn up dead in a car crash in Germany. That's in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Interesting. Uh, yeah, to, to, that, that to, down to, to, to minimize the propaganda value of the other being, well, first a valid opponent, in military speaking, mm. because they, of course, try to paint them as all terrorists. And secondly, There's, well, in, in for, the case for morale of, purposes. In the case of Northern Ireland, and also in the case of probably in Ukraine, the point of that was that the deaths of those people killed by, identified as British agents and killed by the IRA, they couldn't be announced in publicly. First of all, their lives were kind of secret anyway. What they were doing in, in Northern Ireland, like what these people were doing in Ukraine, was secret. It's not public, not public information, and not only that, it wasn't but, the, a but not only that, but military no, operation. But, and on, but the nature of what they were doing was secret for a reason, because if it became public knowledge, it wouldn't be received very well by the public, because they basically are involved in extrajudicial killings and, and terrorism. And in, 
ignoble things. Yeah. So they have to be, their deaths are either just not recognized and they just disappear and nobody ever talks about it. Or if there's some chance that it would get out somehow, some snoopy journalist or something would get out and reveal it, there, ha- there has to be a Offshore, co- co- in that story. context, right. back to Germany. Or wherever. So now, now you've got a framework for having in mind, we'll never know one way or the other on any of these incidents, but take note of the number of reports in recent times of accidents on military bases or off them or training involving... Involving military personnel. Uh, drills and stuff. For example, one from CNN in August. Um, <clears throat> we'll never know, but... Now, you cannot take what they claim at face value. Um, This is a story of an Osprey aircraft crash killing three U.S. Marines in Australia. Not just in Australia, on a remote island off Australia. There's no footage, no documentary evidence. They just have the Pentagon's word for it. But it's three named people. It's got their photos. They're real people. I don't doubt they died in some circumstance. Was it in these circumstances? Maybe yes, maybe no. Here's another one from July. Um, this actually involves Australian soldiers who no right. doubt are also in Ukraine because they're always Johnny on the spot whenever Uncle Sam says jump. Four Australian army crew dead after a helicopter crashed during joint war games with the US. Now, that's plausible. There's a lot of stupid stuff happening with the military these days. Look at that Egypt. Training, yeah. That Egypt who <laughs> rejected from his F thirty five last week yeah. um, for Is no he? good reason, it seems, um, and so on. So I've got other examples. Oh, he, here's one more I want to cover. Okay, um, before we do the propaganda counter example, that's important to wrap up the point we're making here. Um, this is from. This is about an ongoing issue involving a U.S. airbase. So it's not overseas. It's not involving war preparations or war drills. It's just the normal day-to-day stuff, right, at home. Air Force Base in Oklahoma, Tinker Air Force Base, 17 people dead in 2023. Military refuses to reveal causes. On one base. On one base. Now, I looked at general stats. Since 9-11 – Suicides on U.S. bases are off the charts. So are murders, rapes. It's mayhem. And some of them are like mini cities. You know, there's a lot of people on these bases. So, you know, there's plausible background reasons for why people end up dead on the base or buried under the base or whatever else. There's also fragging, of course, a culture of abuse for for conscript, for, for... for young cadets and so on and so forth. Who knows? But this is more interesting because it's recent. It's a couple of weeks old or a month old now, this report, and the military won't talk mean, about it. They, don't, they mean, don't say, yeah, yeah, suicides. I think you mean hazing. Hazing. Fragging something else. Okay. That's deliberately killing. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Man. So, okay. Here's the counterexample, also from this week. It just happened, in fact, uh, a couple of days ago. Let's, have, let's watch the video first. This is what, what they, why they know. This is why, this is part of why they would go to such lengths to cover up the deaths of their senior commanders in Ukraine. What's this?
Okay. So that's the um, air um, cruise missile attack on the Sebastopol headquarters, or at least one building. Naval. You can see it's an old building, Naval Headquarters of the Black Sea Fleet in Crimea. Direct hit, success from the air. Russian air defense couldn't stop it. Looks bad for Russia, right? Everyone agrees with that. The Russian Ministry of Defense reported that one service member was killed um, in this attack. That seems implausible. Look at the scale of the bombing. But then they clarified that, that they justified that by saying, well, actually, the building in question is more like it's more like a part that's like a museum rather than an actual functional meeting place like the place in Venezia was. Um, they then updated to say that actually no one was killed. We just got one serviceman who's missing. Now, Kiev has made hay with this. They've officially claimed, reported all over Western media today, that they hit a gathering of senior naval officials causing casualties among top commanders and resulting in dozens of deaths and injuries. Yep. So they're claiming what the Russians actually succeed mm-hmm. periodically in doing mm-hmm. with meetings of top commanders in Ukraine. Right, most likely that is not actually the success. This was more like a PR success because it it, it looks good, like they've hit a key site. Well, unless a, the Russians are, are are joining in the bullshitting and actually sixteen officers were killed, well, now they're saying it's just one. Yeah, you can't know, but uh, that's that's attempted revenge. That's the level that that the this is this is NATO. Obviously, it's not Ukraine firing those. It's it's British, no. British or U.S. military personnel. They're storm shadow missiles. They're British-made uh, cruise missiles, and they're this, them, that's them attempting to hit Russian decision-making centers in in Crimea or you know important operational centers in Crimea. Uh, I just want to move on to um, yeah. I don't want to waste all our time on this. Go ahead. Sorry, I know, but th- there's another level to the, the propaganda. It it's not just that we're we're hitting them back after they hit us. The thing is, when the pro-Russian types, you've seen them, when they see that, they go all doomer. Yeah. And they think, and invariably, the reaction is 100% the same. When is Russia going to, come on, mm-hmm. step up and hit them back? Mm-hmm. But they don't, what they don't know is because that Russia has, this, Russia's been smacking them all over the place. Right. And then it's buried. Yep. And Russia tacitly agrees not to, yeah, yeah. Leverage is propaganda. Yep. It could get propaganda out yep. of that. They, they don't know the Russians has smacked them all That's over. That's not the way Russia wins the war because they know they're in a, in, a, in a dominant position, so they don't have to do that. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the it's the power it's, in, in the weak position that doesn't really have um, you know the wherewithal to do what it's claiming that it's, that it's doing, especially when they're lying about what they're doing. So obviously they, they're not going to do what they're, they're claiming they're doing. So they they have to rely heavily on propaganda, whereas Russia. Basically, as a general rule, the country that does not engage in that level of propaganda, like shoving things in people's face and saying, yay, we got them and all that kind of stuff, is a country that feels that it has right and authority on its side and that it can achieve what it's setting out to achieve. The country that uses propaganda is the one that's bullshitting for a start about why it's doing what it's doing and probably doesn't have the ability to follow through on what it claims it's doing, even though the claim is false. Uh, just this is kind of staying with Ukraine, but it's an interesting point. Just in case anybody's ever wondering why there's so much support for Ukraine, because we're going to look at a bit, a bit of, uh, especially from Justin Trudeau this week. It was just an awesome speech by Justin Trudeau. You get to see it in a minute. Um, but this is our old friend Mitch McConnell in one of his uh, lucid moments. Um, he explains in 20 seconds why so many billions are being sent 
particularly by America, but also this applies to European countries. But America is in the lead on this. Why they're sending so much money to Ukraine and because it seems stupid. Why don't you spend it at home? Anyway, go ahead. On another issue, uh, looking forward to seeing President Zelensky on Ooh. Thursday. I think it's always good to remind everyone that a good portion of the money allocated to Ukraine is being spent in this country <laughs> to rebuild our industrial base. Rebuild our industrial base. You can take him at face value at that in a certain sense, but he's, what he's trying to say is that he's kind of pushing back against the people who would say, like, why you sent so much money to Ukraine when uh, our infrastructure in the U.S. needs a lot of investment and you're not doing it. Well, we are actually a good portion of that money. So when you hear, like, you know, an extra 20 billion for Ukraine or an extra X number of billion from Ukraine, maybe divide it in half and only half of that money is actually going to Ukraine. In fact... You could, <laughs> the rest is you could, expanding well, you factories. Could, well, you could almost say that none of it's going to Ukraine in a certain sense, except in the form of weapons. Some of it may be going for, you know, into the Ukrainian, into Kiev's coffers to kind of pay wages or something like that. And to buy you Lamborghinis. Know, money out of a suitcase type thing yeah. for, for certain people. But a lot of it is actually, doesn't go anywhere near Ukraine. It stays in the US, goes from the Fed, print, Fed prints money and shoves it into, puts it down on the, on the, on the tally sheet and sends it to defense contractors to make the weapons that go to Ukraine. To expand the factories and to employ yeah. more Americans. Right, and to pay their wages and to... Oh, more, and to more migrants, right. but whatever. <laughs> to, to buy weapons from the defense contractors with American taxpayers' money that then go to Ukraine. So it's not really staying in Ukraine, but then... It's not really staying in America. It is because it's supporting jobs, if only amongst defense contractors and, and the subset of contractors associated with those, and that implies that, that then translates into jobs for America and the American economy, supporting the American economy in that sector. But, um, yeah, well, you have to look at who's on the board of defense contractors and the politicians that are on the boards of defense contractors as well. But um, well, they're, they're, they're his donors. Exactly, as well. They're paying That's why them. he's right. 90 and has obviously a brain issue. Right. But he's still... Right. In... Because in power, because he's probably literally propped up with dollars from Raytheon to right. say that, and he's given money to Ray- he's lobbying for giving money, giving taxpayer money to Raytheon, who will make the weapons, who will also then in the next election cycle will drop a bunch of money on his into his campaign, so he gets elected, yeah. so he can continue to lobby to give money to. You. But he, that means he could he, means he, he could draw all the time. Basically. He could drop dead between now and then, and he still get elected. Yeah, maybe already. That's did. how solid <laughs> the yeah. relationship is. Um, yeah, Zelensky. Did he go to Washington? I thought that was oh, from an did, earlier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, thought yeah, he yeah. went to Canada. No, he was at the, the UN trip. Oh, he at the UN. But he scooted up to Canada to see see floppy head Trudeau. Um, but here he is. Um, <laughs> here's Zelensky at the UN. His accent's terrible. Uh, he spoke in English. Driving bonkers. Yeah, we're not going to listen to it, are we? Ah, uh, will you hear? Just, just for. I don't listen to Nazis. Just for the tenor, or for the. Uh, some of the details, actually. Oh, listen. Even though humanity is failing on its climate policy objectives, huh? this means that extreme weather will still impact the normal global life, and some evil state will also weaponize its outcomes. Evil and when state. people in the streets of New York and other cities of the world went out on climate protest, we all have seen them, and when people in Morocco 
and Libya and other countries die as a result of natural disasters. And when islands and countries disappear underwater, and when tornadoes and deserts are spreading into, into new territories, and when all of this is happening, one unnatural disaster in Moscow decided to ah. launch a big war and kill ah, tens of thousands of people. Thank you. We have to stop it. Stop it. We must act united to defeat the aggressor and focus all our capabilities and energy <laughs> on addressing these challenges. As Which nukes ones? are restrained, oh, likewise yes. the aggressor must be restrained and all his tools and methods of war. Each war now can become final, but it takes our unity to make sure that aggression will not break in again. And it is not a dialogue between the so-called great powers somewhere behind the closed doors that can guarantee us all the new wars era, but open war of all nations for peace. Hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, so what was your point again? Wow, that was... Well, obviously someone told me, listen, if you're going to get... Oh, uh, you can speak at the UN General Assembly, but... You gotta do the global warming thing. <laughs> All right, I'll do the global warming thing. How? But how? I but then he segues it into so it's Russia's like, fault. Like the, he just gives the standard global warming. We're all gonna die. Raising oceans, you know, flooded streets, storms, heat waves, uh, blah blah. It's all terrible. And That's people protesting. We have to stop it. But the point. The most important thing is that in the middle of all this, Russia started a war, <laughs> and it's got nukes, and it has to be stopped. But we have to stop all of it. You see. It's not just global warming. I want those global warming protesters or climate change pro protesters on the streets to also be carrying anti-Russian flags. <laughs> can, we, can we do that? Well, please? you know, they sent Greta to him a couple of months ago. Um, oh, Jeff summed it up in the chat. Actor saying his lines, literally. Yeah. There's that, but whoever wrote the lines um, is smarter than Zelensky at articulating it. You know, if you when think Putin invaded Ukraine, he we all remember he disrupted the jabby jab. They were they were lining up to either fine us all into prison or or worse. They were going to line line us up and stick it in the arms anyway. Mm. That's that was in the air. You remember the atmosphere? That's that's what it was in February 2022, and it stopped because he invaded Ukraine. The other thing he'd interrupted naturally would have been the whole package because climate change, as they reminded us during COVID, is, is part of a piece mm -hmm. with COVID. Yeah. So he, the people who wrote the lines had the bigger picture in mind. He just delivered them terribly. But there is a link. Well, yeah. is there? I don't know. Maybe. Unless, in his head, there is. Well, well, yeah, <clears throat> have to stop it all. The whole global agenda is... We got to get everything lined up for the big change, and Putin's gone and you know messed it up, messed it up big yeah. time. Uh, well, if you think, and I know that probably now goes down in your list of like top ten best speeches of all time, right? Right. I mean, it's up there, right? It's, it's such an awesome orator. But check this out because I think this probably probably beats it. Oh God! Have a listen. Short. Don't worry. Canadians know this is a question of right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Canadians know that yes, it is incredibly hard 
for Ukraine to continue to stand against Russian aggression. And let's be honest, it's hard for the democracies around the world who are there to support their citizens, who are investing for the future, who are challenged with a challenging economy around the world to continue to step up as Canada has. We're blocking their bank accounts. Billion dollars in aid for Ukraine, but we will because the cost on Canadians, on our lives, on our world will be so much greater if Putin wins this war that we will and have to stand every single day until Ukraine wins this war. I'll... <laughs> it's interesting now, in light of our first discussion, isn't the energy in his voice and the kind of the extent to which a psychopath like that can be personally affected by it, he has in mind awareness that some of his Canadian troops have died in Ukraine for mm. this war. Mm. See, he's, he's informed by more than just yeah. acting his lines well. He doesn't care. That's why people are like, oh, bloody hell, that's, that's very forceful, energetic. What's informing that? He is at war with uh, Ukrainian servicemen. Well, people like him don't care about dead soldiers. Like, That's not personal. Then. Well, in a superficial way. Uh, he's in it for ideological reasons. I mean, I'm not sure, but I think he was addressing also the um, a meet, as that meeting was organised by some kind of Ukrainian diaspora group. Yeah, well, that was that Ukraine, was after in, that, that followed on uh, chronologically from Zelensky at the UN, and then Zelensky was up in Canada and pressed the place with Trudeau and stuff, and pressed probably a few other things. But anyway, um, and then that was Trudeau at a meeting with Zelensky, basically, um, you know, talking bigging up Ukraine in in Hitlerian fashion. But um, and speaking of Ukraine and Hitler. Uh, again, same time frame after that kind of speech, or around the time of that speech, within a day or two, whatever, Zelensky's at the Ukrainian or the Canadian Parliament. I've just put this up, uh, and they um, had it. So Zelensky's there, being faded at Parliament. You know, standing ovation. He comes in, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you click on the the left one there, um, so that's. President Zelensky, Clemens Prime Minister Trudeau, recognized Yaroslav Hunka, who was in attendance and fought with the 1st Ukrainian Division in World War II, before later immigrating to Canada, in the House of Commons on Parliament Hill in Ottawa on Friday, 20, September 22nd, so two days ago. So this is saying, Zelensky's in Parliament, standing ovation, him and his wife, he's such a great guy, uh, and then they honour this guy, Yaroslav Hunka, who is a 90, I think he's 98, 98-year-old 98 yeah. veteran. And obviously it's appropriate because he's Ukrainian. He fought this, the, against the, Ru yeah. the Russians in the Second World War for Ukrainian independence, right? So it's very much appropriate to what's happening now. It's like this guy's just like, it's just like a repeat of history, right? What was he, he, he was doing back in the Second World War. That's what his descendants are doing today in Ukraine and we need to honor him, right? Go to the video, you can just see uh, the kind of... Um, um, yeah, I maybe go back to the. Is that it? Let me go back to, to yeah, the video at the bottom there. Dig it up. I think that that I just go go right in the next one. There you go. I think that's it. Zelensky's speech received at least a dozen standing ovations. Awesome. There was also one for this man, a 98-year-old Ukrainian Canadian who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians during the Second World War. That was it. So that's the way the media reports it.
spot, and this is from the, it's from actually a military, well, David Pugliese, a well-recognized military, Canadian military historian. And uh, so you noticed in that tweet that, um, or in, in that report, that he, Yaroslav Hunka, who fought for the 14th Division, in the tweet, the 14th Division of the Waffen SS. That's not what's reported in the, in the, in the, in the actual, you know, in the official media reports about it. This old guy basically, um, in 1944, he was he fought with the 14th SS Volunteer Division Galicia. Sorry, <laughs> that's the wrong one as well. Anyway, it was called the the First Ukrainian Division. Anyway, if you just go to that, that look, do a search for the word change. Yes. Uh, so this is actually this isn't this is a, this guy David Pugliese who, who wrote this is a fairly well recognized you know legitimate mainstream military historian in in Canada and it just says there are members of the, of the basically where's the word change okay um, members of the unit had surrendered to Allied forces and were being held in a camp in Italy in an attempt to hide the SS connection. The unit had changed its name in the past few days of the war to the First Division Ukrainian National Army. So this, so in the in the tweet that we showed you, where it was claimed that this guy who's being faded uh, in the Ukrainian Parliament, alongside or in the Canadian Parliament, alongside Zelensky, as a hero uh, in the past against anti-Russian aggression and representative of what's happening today, he actually was during the war what he. He fought with the 14th Waffen SS Division, Galicia, i.e., the Nazis. Not only Nazis, but secret secret service kind of Nazis, basically. They're the specific units that went in and massacred Poles and Jews right. in Western Ukraine, right? To to cleanse Galicia, which is today. So that's who this old guy fought with and was a member of. It's a division. He was a member. He was a member of 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 a Nazi death squad, basically, fighting for the Nazis, kill Poles and Jews. And then, in order to get to Canada, he came to Canada after the war. This, and even before they came to Canada, that um, unit within the the, the Waffen SS division, the Nazi death squad, that was made up of Ukrainian nationals, they changed their name to the First Division Ukrainian National Army in order to smooth over any connection with the Nazis. And that's how he ended up in Canada. And today, he's being faded in the in the Canadian Parliament. It's it's fitting because in. You can make the case that genetically there's not really any such thing as Ukrainian. Um, when they do genetic tests of Ukrainians, they invariably find they're mostly Russian with some mm. maybe Polish or whatever. Um, but Ukrainian as a psychocultural cohesive thing is a concept very much born in Canada. Right. Because the British and the American spies put them there and so the diaspora grew Ukrainians there. Went there yeah. So <coughs> when Zelensky goes there and when him and Trudeau are fated in parliament many of the people in that parliament are the descendants of, of essentially a Ukrainian cult that was bred in Canada over the last eight years. Mm. Um, Interesting how that happens. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? And, and, and remember now what they've been telling, hitting you over the head with the last year and a half. It's Russian propaganda to make the Nazi connection with Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, the Nazi connection with Ukraine is so strong that the deputy prime minister of Canada is the granddaughter of one of those guys, an actual Nazi mm-hmm. Ukrainian, um, Freeland. 
you know, and you know, it's not conspiracy. Everyone knows it, kind of thing. It's at the time when uh, it came out, she denounced it as Russian propaganda. Right. That her that her parents were were basically, you know, were Nazi sympathizers. She doesn't need to hide it anymore because now they've rehabilitated okay. them all to Ukrainian national. The point that the Speaker of the House introduced this Nazi war criminal as a hero. Yeah. We're we've crossed the Rubicon here. Mm-hmm. This is now open fascism. It also has the sickening effect of making you question the core premises of World War II. Was it to get the Nazis? There's enough circumstantial evidence that Alan Dulles was running around Europe trying to save as many of these shitheads as he could, specifically to incubate them in places like Canada so that they would be useful Mm -hmm. to get the Russians. It's one fucking long continuum it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, it's on a whole other level because they don't have to hide it anymore. It's all out in the right. open. Nazi shithead war criminal can be fated publicly. They all clap like, yeah. like, like brain dead. Then Trudeau can go with uh, Zelensky to basically a Nazi rally in Canada mm. and spit that vitriolic... Mm-hmm. He, Hitlerian. He, he, he looks and sounds like a Nazi because he's... He, it's no, longer, it's no longer a similarity. No, it he, is it. His mind is connected to the same kind of like, I don't know, part of the ether uh, that connected the Nazis back in the day. That's, that's what I think. Uh, speaking of open fascism, can we move on to this letter? To, to what? To a letter from the, the Culture, Media and Sport Committee. Um, one last thing. Go on. Sorry. Incoming, Scotty. This just wraps up. Um, Might there be any doubt in anyone's mind about the nature of the Ukrainian regime? You've probably seen it. Um, Zelensky has appointed Marina Abramovich to be ambassador for Ukraine. It's not an official title. She will lend her voice to help rebuild schools in the country. That's for the children. So that's open, open for the children. So along with open open fascism, now we have open Satanism. Yeah, because she's basically. She's if you the want witch doctor look her up, the, yeah. but she is a very dodgy person. Her and the Podestas. <laughs> and, and like... And Pizzagate. Pedophile. No, well, not even Pizzagate. You look at her art. Just look at her art. And she's the ambassador. She's a perfect ambassador for Ukraine. Yeah. Perfect. In the sense that she's a Satanist. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's just a... a, a oh, yeah. Well, sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, do that. Do that, too. It fits. Go yeah, on. Do it. Go on ahead. <laughs> Do more. So this this is just getting on a Russell brand. There's a little update on that. I mean, in the past week we had uh, the uh, you have a bit to mention on this, uh, Neil. But um, this is a letter from Dame Carolyn Dynage, DBE, Dame of the British Empire, Member of Parliament, and Chair of the Culture, Media, and Sport Committee in the in the British House of Parliament. Anyway, so she wrote several letters. One to TikTok. One to one to someone else, maybe the Facebook, or not Facebook, not Facebook, maybe YouTube, or not YouTube, I don't know. Anyway, show to, to Rumble and to TikTok. This one's to Rumble. And 20th September, dear Chris, Chris Pavlovsky, the CEO of Rumble. I am writing concerning the serious allegations regarding Russell Brand in the context of his being a content provider on Rumble with more than 1.4 million followers. 
The Culture Media and Sport Committee is raising questions with the broadcasters and production companies who previously employed Mr. Brown to examine both the culture of the industry in the past and whether the culture still prevails today. Okay, so that's not your concern. However, we are also looking at his use of social media, i.e. this relates to you, including on Rumble, where he issued his preemptive response to the accusations made against him by the Sunday Times and Channel 4's dispatches. While we recognize that Rumble is not the creator of the content published by Mr. Brand, we are concerned that he may be able to profit from his content on the platform. We're concerned that this guy who allegations have been made by unknown people and media companies dating back 13, 15 years, we're concerned that as a result of these allegations, none of which have been brought to the police and there is no court case or criminal case opened about them, but nevertheless we're concerned that you're still allowing him to make money. So we would be grateful if you could confirm whether Mr. Brand is able to monetize his content, including his videos, relating to the serious accusations against him. Serious? I don't know. Are they Nobody knows if they're serious or not. If so, we would like to know whether Rumble intends to join YouTube, you know, social proof, in suspending Mr. Brand's ability to earn money on the platform, i.e., you know, get with the program here. We would also, this is an important passage here that I need some, some interpretation for. We would also like to know what Rumble is doing to ensure that creators are not able to use the platform to undermine the welfare of victims of inappropriate and potentially illegal behavior. So this obviously relates to brand yeah. in general. So we'd like to know what Rumble is doing to ensure that brand is not able to, because it, it kind of basically says, she's basically saying that, this is her justification because the four paragraphs above have no just other paragraphs above have no justification for why Rumble should demonetize or basically you know boot brand mm. on the basis of what are as of now allegations on substantiated allegations. Uh, so she needs to give a reason for why she she's asking them to do that. It seems like an unreasonable request, and she says so. So she's trying to insinuate something here, which is. That if they don't, then Brand might be able to use the platform to undermine the welfare of victims. So already there's a victim. That's the, that's the key part. She's victims of inappropriate and poten- potentially illegal behaviour. She's presenting as oh, so fact something that's... This is, this is why it's, it's a psychobabble reach. So inappropriate behaviour? What yep. is inappropriate behaviour? And if... If someone acts inappropriately towards someone else, does that make that person a victim? In what sense are they a victim? Like in the legal sense? I mean, would not would the inappropriate behaviour not have to be judged in a court of law and no, determined not to be anymore. not just inappropriate but actually illegal and therefore you have a victim? Not anymore. Now it's, be, now it's your, you've offended me. I'm a victim. Right, so it's a whole offence. Mm. That, that's actually almost like a criminal offence. Th- this to, is... To, to this is this offend, offend, offensive. This is the goal they were seeking the whole time with all that BS. Right. They could send a letter and it would be understood. To get with the programme. Yeah. Well, luckily, in, the, in this case, so it's, it's amazing pseudo-legal psychobabble uh, with lots of insinuations but not, nothing to actually substantiate. Like, basically, she's saying she has no case... She has no valid reason, as in order, to, valid reason to ask Rumble or anybody to take money away from Brand or anybody else. But she wants them to do it anyway on the basis of everyone else is doing something, it. something, something, something. 
something, the current thing, something. Um, and of course, luckily, Rumble about Rumble had responded like on on Twitter and saying like we got this letter. This is where the letter comes from. They posted it and they said we got this letter. It's kind of ridiculous. It, it doesn't align with our policies, and uh, the only way that we'll be taking down Brand's uh, channel or demonetizing his channel, whatever, or you know removing him from our platform would be if uh, somehow the U.S. government was able to physically uh, was able to invade oh, the British government. The British government. <laughs> the British government was able to invade. Um, Invade the United, the United States, States and, and take our and service. Physically take 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 possession of the service. Yeah. I love it. That's the American yeah. freedom Murdoch. coming through there. Of course, bless them. What they don't realize is that it's kind of already done in a certain sense. They can they can still get to you. Um, I mean, Rumble is still blacked out in France because of a dispute over something similar. RT, no, no Rumble itself. You can't view Rumble in France because of RT. Oh, because of, they wouldn't remove RT content, right? Okay, because. Yeah. But because of the war, blah blah blah. Yeah. I never thought I'd do this. Well, at least not. Oh, can, it, well, can we just on, wrap up on the same topic? Yeah. Though. I never thought I'd do this. On, uh, I, uh, I never thought I'd big up this person. But it's, you know, this is probably forty years ago, and it's only sixteen seconds long. But it speaks. Oh my God! <laughs> the Iron Lady. I, I have a listen. A court of law is the place where you deal with these matters. If you ever get trial by television or guilt by accusation, that day, freedom dies. Well, Maggie knew it back then. And we were all raging to get Maggie back in the day, but... uh, Two years later, I think that's 1991, there was the first, I think it was the kind of a marker event for where law became a trial by media, and that was the O.J. Simpson case. Mm. He got off because of a successful victory in the court of public opinion, mm. which leaned on the jurors and so on and so on. That literally happened soon after, the beginning of the sort of descent into this circus, this replacement of actual law with pseudo-paralegal, extra, extra as stuff, sanctions, this... Judicious san- uh, decisions and sanctions handed down outside the actual law. Right. And or what's broadly known today as lawfare. Right. Suing someone into oblivion. There's no real substance. The people who are doing it know they actually won't win. But in the meantime, you'll drain them of money, resources, energy, right. and friends and allies and isolate them. And Julian Sand is the perfect example. It's very comparable case with this because he's been isolated and contained. It's a bit like they treat him... They treat him like he's a virus on a computer and they've just quarantined and isolated him. Mm-hmm. And they know officially he's, well, he's still got a pending appeal and they might know he might be extradited, he might not, but in the, in the meantime, he'll just die alone in prison mm-hmm. in a maximum security bell yeah. marsh. That's what they would like to do with people like Rand eventually. It's, uh, they may not need to. They may be able the to drain of totalitarian governments to do that kind of thing, right? Well, Zeke Kyle, they all want us to um, pretty yeah. much salute. There's a... A ray of hope, at least in this... Uh, oh, the one other thing to mention, that it took six, six days to uncover that the woman who sent that letter right. is married to the guy who was in charge of British psychological warfare operations online yeah. until last year, or deputy commander of the 77th Brigade. Right. Their explicit remit is to do shit like this. Right. So she's just doing what her husband does. It's amazing how quickly... The, uh, Twitter was like... Ooh, it was 50-50. People were like pro-brand, pro anti, and then 
might weigh in and say, you know, this is probably a coordinated campaign from the top. Oh, shut up, you conspiracy theorist. All those criticisms fell off a cliff when it was revealed who her husband was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even Piers Morgan now is like, uh, hang on, uh, due process, due process. Mm-hmm. They're backing down, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a little, here's a little, I think it's a really good initiative, actually, and it's an example of, of the kind of pushback that, that's, that's useful. Um, in the face of, of, of this nonsense. So uh, there's a new website and a campaign uh, that's going to be set up soon or it's going to go live soon. Uh, if you scroll down a little bit, that's Sharon Davies. She's an ex-Scan Olympic swimmer, UK, and uh, she's, a, and she's a campaign. Sports presenter. Yeah, and sports presenter, yeah. So it's, gonna, it's, it's basically a website that is aimed at uh, MPs who believe women can have a penis uh, and naming and shaming them ahead of a, gen- of a general election. So there's an army supposedly of volunteers in a new political grassroots campaign gearing up to meet all MPs and parliamentary candidates, candidates at Hustings events and on their doorsteps to ask them one question. What is a woman? Their answers will be video recorded and, they upload, and uploaded individually to a website which is being launched in the coming <laughs> months. That's perfect. Like, you know, that's just one. I mean, of course, you could ask them a bunch of other questions, but that's a very pointed one. You I, know? I bet only a, a minority of them answer clearly the correct answer. Well, Look I at mean, Trump last week equivocating. Yeah. He's like, well, I'm, I'm going to hedge my bets here. Well, they don't realize that. I mean, I think the vast majority of people or a significant majority of people in the UK and probably in most other countries already know what the answer should be. Yeah. They know what they expect a politician to be able to say, and, and it's pretty clear cut, right? Mm. It's your mama, right? <laughs> uh, so if they don't say that, the fact that, oh, no, I, I'm no comment, no comment, that's an answer. Right. They'll be shamed, and if they don't realize well, that... I'm, that, I'm they not don't a biologist. Yeah, if they don't realize that answer is, is, is as bad as, as a, yes, a man can be a woman, then, then they're stupid, you know? Yeah. And it, it's, it's trying to hit them at their... So insofar as the electoral process still works and they actually care about what people think and people actually can actually vote and influence who yeah. gets elected, then this is something any of, any of them with any sense will have to as long think long and hard about, you know. Yeah. That's clever. But the, the example in Ireland recently is as long as one person asked the question, all it took was one guy, Ben Scallon, kind of a, a renegade journalist. He's in the press pool. Mm. He writes for Grip, Alternative. Mm. New media online, right? Mm-hmm. Took Ben Scanlon just asked one question of a committee that was in charge, I think, of pushing forward with a referendum to hold to change the constitution again mm. regarding the, specifically the role of a women in society. Mm-hmm. And he said, Got them. Can you please define before you ask of the Irish people how to change this definition in their constitution about the role of a woman? What is a woman? <laughs> he couldn't, couldn't, wouldn't answer. No, no, and no. I think the referendum was a no. They don't, yeah. We're not going ahead with this. Yeah. Sometimes it's just one person to yeah. stand up and yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the whole juggernaut stops in his tracks, you know? Yeah. But they'll keep coming back. They'll never stop coming back. And enjoy your victories while you can, where and when you can get them. Um, enjoy yourself blue in the face, humiliating them or mocking them or laughing at them. But they won't stop coming. Um, horse face at the UN this week, you mm. know. Uh, we need to limit free speech in order to protect it. Protect, protect free speech. I mean, and that, that wasn't... The, the reason they're at the UN is because... The reason Zelensky's there, the reason Lavrov gave a speech is because it's, it's UNGA time. Mm. Uh, UN General Assembly is usually in September. The, the, the theme the UN was pushing wasn't the global boiling. In fact, it was about 
literally that. Disinformation, misinformation. Um, Secretary General was at it again, you know, talking about the gates of hell being opened because of free speech or something like that. I can't remember. He made some crazy statement as he pushed the agenda about basically, yeah, limits to free speech. Mm-hmm. About what we need to do to protect people's, you know, blah, blah. Um, they're not going to stop. They're going to keep coming. But thankfully, human beings' ability to find the humor in things is also limitless. Psychos don't understand that. Exactly. And <laughs> speaking of, of did that, horseface Jacinda does her does her accent annoy you? That's oh, horrible. It's horrible. It's, 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 a lot of people, it's yeah. like chalk, you know, this nails is, and chalkboards. <laughs> somebody having a having a rib. This is from quite a long time ago, but it's kind of funny. This is New Zealand accent for you on a particular product. If you're like me, you find it very hard to keep your dick dry. I left my dick unprotected and it was warped out of shape in no time. I could barely <laughs> recognise my own dick. Imagine that. Then I discovered Schaefer's New Zealand style dick sealant. The best way to take care of your dick in three easy steps. First, wash your dick with soap and water. Then, wait for your dick to dry. <laughs> Once your dick is clean and dry, paint your dick with Schaefer's dick sealant. I used to be too embarrassed to invite people over to see my dick. By now, my dick's the talk of the town. I even have pictures of my dick. Check out that dick. Pictures. I'm this to my secretary. Barbara always loves to receive my dick pics. <laughs> After all, summertime is all about spending time on your dick. I'll often have 20 to 30 people on my dick at once. That can really wear your dick out, causing dick splinters and discoloration. But with Schaefer's dick sealant, my dick stays a nice golden brown colour. Who wouldn't want a golden dick? I used to never let children anywhere near my dick. My dick was too dangerous for cods to play on. But it seems like every cod in the neighbourhood's been on my dick this summer. And they've had a good time. My dick's over 70 years old, but it looks brand new. That's part of the reason all my neighbours are jealous of my dick. Wasn't that right, Jum? Yes, you've got a nice dick, okay? His wife is always on my dick, begging me to know the secret of my perfect dick. If you like Schaefer's dick sealant, check out Schaefer's New Zealand-style cock. I had a huge hole in my dick, <laughs> but I fixed it by jamming some cock in it. You'd be surprised how many things you can fix by jamming cock into them. Have an extra large <laughs> hole in your dick? Try Schaefer's African-style cock. Just go to your local home improvement store and ask for the big black cock. Schaefer's New Zealand-style dick sealant. Don't put it on your penis. There's also a helpful number on the back. Hi, I've got a question about my dick. Schaefer's New Zealand stuff. Hey, get that squirrel off my dick. He knows he's not allowed to come on my dick. Uh, yeah. so, Nine years ago, five million views. That's brilliant. But th- that's actually how they talk. I mean, that's, yeah. that, those are, I mean, that's not really exaggerating. I mean, that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so. bad. So to clarify, we love Kiwis, just not psycho Kiwis. Yeah. And your accent's funny when you make it funny as well. <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. That's all I got. It's going to be an interesting month, I think, coming up. Yeah. I can tell you, there's some kind of something in the air. Maybe it's a revolution. Maybe it's not. don't know. I'm just seeing people like fed up. Specifically people among that larger cohort who are new to this. They're, they don't. They don't behave like they're prepared 
to spend the next 20 years like us just observing it from afar. It affects them directly. Their kids are still in school. Mm-hmm. They pay a shitload of taxes. In. It affects them. It hits the purse here and now, you know. It's like, uh, we'll see. All right. What did the parrot say when he turned 80? Uh, nothing about his deck. I matey. <laughs> <laughs> That was terrible. But then, all right, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Um, we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, don't think, take things too seriously because, you know, well, it doesn't help. Uh, but stay tuned and keep your eyes open, keep watching, keep learning. And uh, yeah, so we'll be back next week with another show. So until then, have a good one. See you later. Thanks for watching. Bye, everyone. Can't stop the signal now.